So, as Sarah mentioned, this morning I'm going to be talking on loving one another. And I'm going to pay particular attention to the commands that Jesus gives us to love one another. I thought, just before we start, I want to give a little bit of a warning. I'm going to talk an awful lot about Jesus this morning. Um, So, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you know a bit about him, maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you've been in church for a little while even, and you know about him, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe this morning could be the morning where he becomes real to you. Maybe he could become alive to you. Um, So I just want to float that one out there to start off with. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. Talking about Jesus this morning. So um, the scripture that this morning's message is based on is John 13, verse 34. We should have it on the screen there. And it says, a new command I give you, love one another. This is Jesus talking, by the way. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And when I read this, I read it a couple of times, and I thought, okay, sounds sounds quite simple. Jesus is asking us to, to love people the way that he loves people and kind of started thinking along that route. But the more I read this scripture, the more I kind of got drawn into the, the first part of it, the fact that it says, a new command I give you. And I started thinking, why, why is this a new command? So I did a little bit of digging and from that has come what I want to say to you this morning. But I just wanted to encourage you that if something doesn't make sense to you when you read it in the Bible, if something kind of, you know, just doesn't quite hit home or you don't really know what it means, just do a bit of digging, do a little bit of research. It's never been easier. You know, we've got phones, we've got Google, we've got Wikipedia, if we can trust that. But we've got lots of different things in our hands that we can use to find out more about Scripture. And when we do, even just the smallest amount of effort, just finding out who wrote it, who it was for, what the words really mean, can bring a scripture to life. It can make it stick with you and sit with you much better. So that's just a bit of a side note, but don't just glance over the Bible looking for something that makes sense to you, but explore it, and God will show you stuff that you never even knew. So why is this a new commandment? Um, So... To kind of give it a bit of background, I think we need to go back to earlier on in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry, uh, where he's asked what the greatest commandment is. And I've got this, hopefully, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And if you've been with us for a while, you might know that this is a key scripture for us as a church. This is part of our purpose. This is part of who we are. This scripture and this idea that we need to be loving God and loving people. And here Jesus recognizes that these are the two most important things that we can do. But actually, this These commands to love God and to love people, they were nothing new. In fact, they're commands that we find way back in the Old Testament. I've not got these on the screen for you, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
And in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds familiar. So although Jesus points out that these are the greatest commandments, these weren't anything new at the time. People had had them way back since, since the um, Old Testament times. But what was new was the fact that Jesus had now lived, had now breathed, had now lived out his life demonstrating what that love truly means. So it's like when he says, a new command I, have, I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's like he's saying, now I have walked with you for three years. Because this is towards the end of his life when he's saying this. Now I've eaten with you. Now I've spent time with you. Now I've taught you. Now I've shown you how to do it. Now you understand what love is. And now you can go and demonstrate that and model that to other people. You don't have to muddle through it on your own trying to work out what it means to love God or what it means to love people. But you can look at my life. You can look at the things that I've said to you, the things that I've said to other people. And from that, you will know how to love one another. So that was what was new. Jesus' example of love was what was new at the time. And Jesus' example of love was new. He was known, he had a bit of a reputation for shaking things up a little bit. For maybe going against the grain of the culture at that time. Um, Jesus... Change the game, to coin another phrase that we've used a lot here. Change the game when it came to showing what love was. Jesus demonstrated that love and loving one another actually meant loving your enemies. It meant loving the poor, loving the sick, loving the criminals, loving people who are just not really very easy to love. And I'm sure we can all think of a couple of people who we've come across in our lives who maybe haven't been particularly easy to love. He ate with tax collectors and he sat with prostitutes, all of which went against the culture of the time. That just wasn't known, but all of which showed love. So if we are looking to follow Jesus' new commandment to love people as he did, how can we do that? What does it mean? What was new about the way Jesus loved to the way the world was used to at the time? And that's what I want to answer this morning. And why is this important? Well, I think it's important because I think now, even more than ever, our world has maybe got a little bit of a distorted view of what love is. We can think that love is just a warm, fuzzy feeling that kind of comes and goes as it pleases and we should make the most while it's there and maybe back out when it's not there. Or we can think that love is the number of hearts we get on our Facebook posts because there's a little love icon there now. Or even that love is an island that we can go to to be watched by millions of people while we find our soulmates. So I think our view of love is maybe being a little bit distorted at the moment. And I think that's why it is absolutely vital that we find out what true love is. And the way that we can do that is through relationship with Jesus. We can experience this true love. 
And by learning about his life, by learning about some of the things that he did, some of the things that he said, we can learn how to model that love to one another. So what was new about Jesus' love? How did he love the disciples that was new and that was different to what the world knew at the time? First of all, there were loads of things. <laughs> but just in the interest of time, I've picked just a few. And the first thing I did... I. Th- First thing I've picked that I think Jesus did differently was that Jesus invited. Jesus called people to come along and to share the journey of life with him. He saw his disciples before they even knew what their future held. He saw them in just their ordinary, messy lives and called them to come and join him. In Matthew 4, verse 19, we see that Jesus talks to um, Simon and Andrew, who were brothers who were out fishing. And it says, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus called them when they were out doing their jobs, just earning their money, just in their ordinary lives. And he called them to share his life with them. He called them to come and travel with him, to eat with him, to, to spend pretty much the next three years of their lives with him. And what I love particularly is that Jesus invited them as they were. He didn't expect them to have it all together. He didn't wait for them to change. He didn't look for the best of the best, but he invited people as they were to come and share his life with them. You know, he didn't hold auditions or put posters up, you know, saying disciples wanted, must have their own income, must be emotionally stable, must, you know, do A, B, and C. He didn't pick the best of the best. He picked ordinary people. And through relationship with them, he saw them change from people who were living in in mess, people who were living in less than perfect lives, to people who were living in love and living in power and living, reaching their full potential to who they were. So if we want to do that, If we want to love people like Jesus loved people and invite people like he invited them, how do we do that? It might sound really simple, but the first thing that we can do is actually extend the invitation. I think, and I'm definitely guilty of this, sometimes we can be very heads down in life, focusing on what is coming next, what have I got to do in my day, where have I got to go, What's my first task? What's my second task? What's my third task? And then before I know it, it's the end of the day. And then it's the next day, and it's the next day, and the week's gone. You know, sometimes we need to just take the time to look up, to see who's around us, and we can extend the invitation to people to come and share life with us. Maybe that's as simple as, let's go out for a drink. Let's come round to my house. I'm going to cook you some dinner. Maybe it's, you know, why don't you want to, do you want to come to church this week? Do you want to come and see what's going on and what we're doing at church? And we can make lots of excuses why we don't do it. First of all, because we're too busy. <laughs> uh, we can make the excuse that maybe I just don't really like people that much. I'm a bit of an introvert and, you know, I, spending time with people is a bit too stressful for me. But I believe that Jesus created us to live in community with one another Maybe we're afraid of being rejected. 
but what if we're not rejected? <laughs> what if we manage to build relationships with people and see them come to church and see them um, get to know Jesus for who he really is? We can make a lot of excuses, but I think really what we have to understand is that we have a gift. We are a gift and we can be a blessing to people. We have salvation. We have relationship with Jesus and that is something that needs to be shared. And it was like one of those songs that we were singing earlier on, Jesus lives inside of us. So when we spend time with people, when we invite people, maybe not necessarily people in church, but whether we invite people in our streets, in um, our schools, in our workplaces, on the playground, when we invite them into our lives, because Jesus is inside of us, through spending time with us, they get to spend time with Jesus. And that is what people desperately need. So we might not have as many excuses as we think. So the first thing we can do is extend the invitation. And the second thing that we can do is allowing people to be real. And this is something that Jesus demonstrated really well. I don't know if you've ever met someone who just allows you to completely be yourself. Or how refreshing that feels, knowing that you don't have to pretend to be someone who you're not. Knowing that someone knows you for who you are. And that actually, you don't have to put up a front anymore. You can just truly be you. It is so refreshing. And that is what we should be aiming for in our relationships with other people. We shouldn't try and make people conform or be fake so that they can spend time with us. But we should be willing to meet with people where they're at. And obviously, we need to have a bit of wisdom with this. You know, if we know someone is harmful for us or dangerous for us. You know, we're not saying you need to go and meets people down dark alleys and things like that where they're at. But what I'm saying is we can't expect people to have it all together before we're ready to take that step into relationship for them and be ready to open up to them. Because when we do start that relationship, that is when we start to see change. When we build that trust and over time, like the disciples showed, that's when we start to see change and people get to um, grow and develop into who they really are. So Jesus demonstrated that to truly love someone is to accept them for who they are. To truly love someone is to invite them into your life. So Jesus invited. And the second thing I think that Jesus did was that Jesus served. And we see this throughout his whole life, we see that Jesus served people. We see that he healed people, he provided for people, he taught people, he served people all the way through his life. But I want to focus in on one particular thing that Jesus did for his disciples that showed that he wanted to serve them. And that was when he washed his disciples' feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like feet very much. I'm not a squeamish person, but I find the longer I look at a foot, just the more weird it looks. It's like it's trying to be a hand, but not quite a hand. It's just, it's just weird. And even, even the nicest feet. So Rob has got lovely feet. I'm not just saying that he actually does. Very soft feet. (laughs) But can I bear to look at them for more than a minute? No, I can't. Feet are not my thing. Yet, Jesus didn't stop him. (laughs) 
he washed his disciples' feet. I should have the scripture on the screen for you. John 13, verse 3 to 5. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And if we can just have the next scripture as well, this is a few verses later. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus, even though he was the son of God, seated in the highest place in heaven, he decided that he was going to get down, he was going to kneel down, and he was going to wash his disciples' feet. This is something that must have shown total humility and must have shown vulnerability as well. If you think about Jesus kneeling down, lowering himself down, that, that opens himself up to maybe being mocked a bit, maybe being ridiculed, maybe the disciples thinking that they were a bit better than him because he'd lowered himself down, but he did it anyway. And I don't think so much that it was actually about the action of washing the feet itself. You know, Jesus didn't just wash the feet because it needed to be done. He could have asked someone to do it. He could have treated the disciples to a spa day. Or he could have looked at the feet and made them clean because he was the God of the miraculous. <laughs> but no, there was something in the action of kneeling down, lowering himself and washing the feet that demonstrated that to love someone, to truly love someone is to be willing to serve them even when it stinks. That's my little joke on the end there. So if we want to serve people like Jesus served, how can we do that? Um, and again, the first thing that I want to say might sound ridiculously obvious, but if we want to serve people, we need to look out for other people's needs. And other people's needs might be really obvious. Sometimes we just know if people are going through a crisis or we know um, what's going on in their lives. Sometimes it can be obvious what practical needs people have at that time in their life. But sometimes I think it takes a bit more relationship, takes a bit more time, takes a bit more effort for someone to be willing to open up and to share what's really going on and to share what areas they're really struggling with and to share what they really need to help them grow and to help them move on and to help them um, get through a situation that they're facing. So let's just bear that in mind when we're spending time with people, that actually it can be a privilege to, to listen to someone's needs and to listen to what someone's situation is, is at the time. And we just need to be aware that sometimes it can take a place of vulnerability for people to share where they're really at. So let's start just paying attention to the world around us and let's start paying attention to the people that God is putting in our path. Maybe that's a neighbor, someone on your street. Maybe you keep bumping into the same person in the shop. Maybe you keep uh, bumping into the same person on the playground. Maybe there's someone who God keeps putting in your path who's got a need, 
And all we need to start doing is just asking them, start getting to know them, start relationships so that they can share that need with you. Maybe God is asking you, maybe you are the person that God is sending to meet that, that need. So who is in your path? Who can you think of now that God is asking you to help? So first of all, look out for people's needs. And second of all, don't let the focus be on you. I'm sure no one here is guilty of this. I'm talking hypothetically here. But sometimes I think people can serve almost to make themselves feel a little bit better. Or we can serve to make ourselves look better to other people. Or we can serve and help someone so that then maybe we have the upper hand in that relationship. And we then feel like we're owed. And that can make us feel good. If we're serving for any of those reasons, then that's not really loving someone. That's serving out of a selfish motivation. Jesus said the most important things we need to do are to love God and to love people. So if we're not serving out of love for God or love for people, then really we're not serving out of love at all. Like it says here in verse 17, Jesus pointed out, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. That's Jesus saying, yeah, I'm washing your feet, but it's not about me. It is about God. I'm just the messenger. I might have, you know, lived with you and performed all of these miracles, but it's not about me. It is about God. And that's the attitude that we need to have when we're serving. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about showing that we love God. And that's what other people can hopefully see through us. So Jesus demonstrated that to truly love someone, to really love someone, is to be willing to serve them. Okay. And the last thing that I want to mention that I think Jesus did, probably the most difficult one, is that Jesus forgave. And I'm just going to jump straight into a scripture here. Um, Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Then Peter, who was one of the disciples, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, if my brother keeps on sinning against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? No, not seven times, answered Jesus, but 70 times seven. Now, I really like to try and imagine what was going through Peter's mind when he asked this question. And I can think of two possible scenarios. Either he's got a guilty conscience and he's done something that he's worried about and he wants to know how many times he's got left before he gets shunned forever. Or someone is really bugging him. (laughs) Someone is really annoying him. Maybe one of the other disciples, I don't know. But someone is really you know, got his back up about something. And he is wondering, how many times do I have to put up with this before I can just draw the line and walk away? And I don't know if you have ever been in that situation. I think in certain seasons of our life, we we do meet people like that. People who possibly keep letting us down or people who keep disappointing us or people who keep, you know, promising but never, never coming through or people who keep hurting us and we think how many times do I have to keep forgiving you until I can just draw the line 
and walk away. But what was Jesus' response? So Peter suggested seven. I think that was quite generous, really. Um, I would have said three, maybe, you know, a nicer number, but he went for seven. Um, But Jesus said, no, not seven, 70 times seven. And, you know, there might be some smart Alex amongst us who think, okay, so that means the 490 is the exact number of times that we need to forgive someone before we can uh, walk away. The 491st time, that's it, they're out. But I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. I think Jesus is trying to get at it is not about the number of times. It is about cultivating a heart that is just ready to forgive. Cultivating a heart that is full of forgiveness for people around you. And you know, also an important point to make is that forgiving is not forgetting Forgiving someone again and again and again doesn't mean that we should just forget what they've done to hurt us or forget what they've done to let us down and just keep putting ourselves back into that situation. But forgiving is saying, I'm not going to hold on to the emotional pain or to the hurt or to the bitterness that that situation is causing me. I'm going to choose to forgive and I'm going to choose to move on. So don't think we have to keep going back to the same situations. We don't but we do have to let go. And just as I'm talking about forgiveness and how Jesus showed forgiveness, I want to highlight that this was something that was completely countercultural at the time. So at the time when Jesus was walking the earth, um, if people wanted to get themselves right with God, they had to start finding things to, to sacrifice. If they'd done something wrong, then they would have to find a sacrifice that kind of met the degree of sin that they'd committed um, in order to make themselves right with God. So if it was a a small sin, maybe they would, you know, burn some incense or maybe a a pigeon or something. If it was a big sin, then maybe it would be something like a cow or a sheep or something. All in order to get right with God. Whereas Jesus, through his life and then ultimately through his death, Jesus, who was the most perfect person, who was more worthy than anything that had ever walked this planet, he died as that ultimate sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to live with the consequences of our own sin or other people's sin or even the sin of our enemies anymore. Um, Jesus became that sacrifice and that is something that was completely different to what people were used to at the time. And you need something else that Jesus taught is that we need to forgive our enemies. Forgiving people we like is hard enough. (laughs) Forgiving people we really struggle with, that was really tough. But in Matthew 5, verse 44, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said that we had to love our enemies. And to love is to forgive. So, if we want to try and demonstrate forgiveness in our lives, if we want to love like Jesus loved and demonstrate forgiveness, then how can we do that? First of all, again, really simple. We need to acknowledge who you need to forgive. 
And again, this might be something that is really obvious to you. Some people you might know, you might be thinking straight away, there's a name that's someone who has done something wrong to me. I, I need to forgive that person. But I think sometimes unforgiveness can be a bit more subtle than that. Particularly if maybe you're a little bit like me and a bit non-confrontational and a bit wanting to keep everyone happy. Sometimes someone does something wrong. We say, oh, no, that's fine. That's okay. And we just move on. Um, sometimes unforgiveness can almost sit with us and we don't particularly recognize what it is. And it can start to kind of bubble away under the surface. And I think it can be a little bit like the analogy with the frog in the hot water, which I have done some research in. I don't know whether this is true or not. It's inconclusive. But apparently, if you drop a frog into a pan of hot water, boiling water, it will instantly jump out because it knows that that situation is dangerous. It knows, threat to life here, I'm off. But if you put a frog into a pan of cold water, and I'm sorry for any frog fans, if you put a frog into a pan of cold water and slowly heat it up, it doesn't notice the temperature change. And unfortunately, it will get cooked. I'm sorry. I have, like I said, I have tried to do some research on that. And I've seen things that have said that it's true. And I've seen things that said that it isn't true. So I'll continue my journey and I'll let you know if I come to any final conclusions. But I will not harm any frogs. But I think sometimes unforgiveness can be like that second situation. We can let it bubble away under the surface, maybe not really recognizing it for what it is. And it can get to a point where actually it's causing us damage. It's causing us pain. It's, we might not understand it, but we want to avoid certain people and we want to avoid certain situations. And really, it, it's, it's just not healthy for us. And that's why I think it's important to regularly be assessing who we need to forgive. I think it's crucial, and I know it's crucial because Jesus put it in the Lord's Prayer. When people asked, how should we pray? And Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer. It says in there, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So we should regularly be asking ourselves, who do we need to forgive? Where have I got unforgiveness in my life? And not so that we can make ourselves feel better or we can big ourselves up thinking that, oh, you know, I need to forgive that person and that person and that person. But so that we are freeing ourselves from unforgiveness and so that we are keeping ourselves emotionally healthy. Really important. So acknowledge who you need to forgive. And then last of all, try and see forgiveness as an act of worship. Because ultimately, forgiveness is about putting God first. Forgiveness is about saying that, God, you are above all things in my life. You are above this relationship that I'm really struggling with. You are above this person who just keeps hurting me. And I, I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. But I'm going to let go so that I can reach out for what you've got for me. It is about saying that, God, you are number one. And, you know, forgiveness, it doesn't always change the person who we're forgiving. And that's the frustrating thing. If it did, I'm sure we would forgive left, right and center. 
But forgiveness isn't guaranteeing that the person who we're forgiving is going to change. They might do. It isn't such an act of love to be forgiven. But people have got free will. People can choose to make wrong decisions again and again and again. So forgiveness doesn't necessarily change them, but forgiveness does change you. Forgiveness releases you from the weight of bitterness and pain and allows you to move on with your life. Forgiveness is an act of worship because forgiveness acknowledges what Jesus really did on the cross. Forgiveness says, you know what, Jesus was willing to die for them, was willing to die for that sin. Jesus doesn't hold it against them, so why should I? Forgiveness really is an act of worship. And as Jesus demonstrated, if we want to love one another, if we want to truly love people, I know it's hard, but we have to forgive. So I'm just going to bring things to a close now. And I thought if it was okay, we might just be able to finish with a moment of reflection. So if you're okay just to maybe make yourself comfortable for a second, just close your eyes. I've just got a couple of questions to ask you that I just want you to be thinking about. So my first question is for you guys in particular who I mentioned at the start, maybe you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you haven't had that relationship with Jesus before. My question for you is now that we've talked about the love of Jesus for half an hour, do you accept the love of Jesus in your life? Because Jesus is here today. Jesus is here now. And he is inviting you to share your life with him. He is ready and willing to serve you and meet your needs, to provide for you and to look out for you. And there is forgiveness open to you today. So my question to you is, do you accept the love of Jesus? And my second question, just maybe for the rest of us, is how can you love like Jesus loved? And I just want us to listen to God for a moment, just a couple of seconds. Who is he asking to invite into your life? Who is it that you keep bumping into? Who is it that is on your heart? Who is he asking you to serve? And who is he asking you to forgive? Because this morning can be the morning where you let go of that unforgiveness. Who is it that he is asking you to forgive? I'm just going to pray to close. God, I thank you that you came to this earth, that you sent your son Jesus so that we wouldn't have to muddle through what it meant to love people, 
but so that we would have a perfect example of that in our lives. Jesus, thank you for for showing us what true love is. Thank you for the invitation that you extend to us to share our lives with you. And God, I pray that you would help us as we go from this place today and as we try to love one another as you demonstrated, that you would help us to be bold in that, that you would help us to listen to you in it and that we will be able to see people's lives change as a result of your work through us. In Jesus' name, amen.